Welcome to a podcast from Corvallis Church in Corvallis, Oregon. Corvallis Church is committed to engaging our community, serving our neighbors, and growing in faith and friendship. Let's sit back and enjoy this heartfelt message from Pastor Mike Miller. If you'd like more information, you can visit us at corvallischurch.com. Let's listen in. I want to share with you a tool that has helped me, it's helped my staff, it's helped my kids in Bible college. You may have heard of it. It's called the Bible Project. The Bible Project is an initiative by um, a guy named Tim Mackey, and he has a partner. I don't know his name, but they, uh, Tim's a, a pastor up in Portland. Uh, Door of Hope was their church that they started. And out of that birthed this tool to help people understand more about the Bible. And so through the Bible Project, they've done these videos that, that, that incorporate different modalities of the way we learn to help us capture and learn concepts that we may miss by merely reading or just listening to a sermon. So what I thought I'd do today, as I was preparing for my sermon today, I'm watching this video and I find myself writing down, like, great, I got to cite this. Oh, I got to cite it again. And basically I was scripting the video and I thought, why don't I just show you the video? So what I'd like to do today, we're kicking off this series uh, as we are going to be studying all the writings of John and the character of John, probably until Easter. So we're going to go through the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then the book of Revelation. And uh, just, we're just going to go through those books as in the chronological order as they were written. And the reason I want to do this is I think it's really helpful for us to get into the lens deeply of one story of Jesus and, and know the heart of John as he's writing these things because it will shed a light on things that we thought we knew that we may not have grasped before. If we can just rest and settle and say, this is the lens of my study. One of the things that we do to help you is we provide these scripture journals. Um, I'm gonna ask Michael and uh, Mark, could you help too? Um, now, we buy these and we give them to you as a gift. These are scripture journals. On the left is a scripture, on the right is a blank page. And our hope is that you engage with scripture. Our hope is that you engage. And so we want you to read and study, take this home, read on your own. If you know you're not going to do this, if you're like, I've already got two Bible studies and I'm not gonna do this, don't feel obligated to take one of these. Um, But if you would like to engage with this, uh, we invite you to do that. Um, I want to also remind you, this is kind of, I view this as kind of like a living room here. So I leave my stuff laying around like I do in my living room. I wrote my name on mine, right? So if you, if you grab one, you look at it, and you got all these notes and Greek words and Hebrew, and like, it's probably not yours. It's mine. I got my name on it. Uh, but we just invite you to engage with us. Uh, you know, we really hope that you fall in love with Scripture. And, uh, and, and want to dive deeper. That was nice. I didn't even sneeze, and I got to bless you. <laughs> God bless you. God bless you, church. Um, okay, so what I want to do is introduce this video, and ha- it's an eight-minute video, so it's going to be a big chunk of the teaching time, and then I have a message for us uh, where I'm going to read John 3, and we're going to exposit that a little bit for what God has for us today. But uh, let's look at some background And these videos are all free, and they've done these for, I think they've done every book of the Bible now. And now they're going back and they're doing concepts of the Bible, like things like uh, um, forgiveness or rest, 
or the Trinity uh, are just ideas and theological concepts that may be hard to grasp. And it's such a well-done tool. I'll tell you how well done it is. My son is a senior at Northwest Christian University, and they use these videos as part of their curriculum. Yeah, so they're really well done. Um, so they're all on YouTube for free. You can check out thebibleproject.com. They have, they have um, if you use the YouVersion Bible app, um, they actually have reading plans that incorporate reading, watching video, and prayer that are really, I got like four pastor friends that are using these as just to help them in their daily devotions. So I really encourage you to check it out. It's called The Bible Project, but we're going to get a sneak peek of the first half of the book of John today. Go ahead. One of the things about John, all the names that John is known for, John was a, he and Peter were friends, business partners. Uh, the implication is that they were childhood friends. They really knew each other. Um, John, distinctly different, different character uh, portrayed in, in the Gospels than Peter. Peter was probably more the bold leader, the one that made declarations and took initiative. Um, John, interesting things about John, he lived the longest. Um, every one of the disciples was martyred for the sake of, of the kingdom, and they attempted to kill John, but he didn't die. John, he's, he's a disciple that lived the longest. Um, I praise God for that because at the end of his life, he gave us the book of Revelation. Um, and John had some names that were interesting. Um, John and his brother James are referred to as the Sons of Thunder, right? That's kind of a cool name. I'd like to be called the Son of Thunder. I think they were drummers. I think that's what they were, uh, the Son of Thunder. Uh, but there's one thing that John referred to himself as that fascinates me. Because in my family, I have two older sisters, so I'm the youngest, and I'm the only boy. So, clearly, you've probably already deduced this, um, I'm my mom's favorite. Clearly. Uh, but we have this joke around our family that I, we, each of my, me and my sisters, that we are mom's favorite. And, and I will say things at holidays where my sister walks in the room and I'll say, yeah, mom, you're right. That, that is a good reason why I should always be your favorite. And my sister, like, no, no. Um, and then I'll say, mom, remember that time when you said that you were going to let Trisha and Tracy think that they were your favorite for the rest of their life? That was a good plan. It's working. Um, but it's this joke. None of us actually think my mom has favorites. But we all actually feel like she loves us the most. And when John says, the one whom, dis, whom Jesus loved, he calls himself that. He refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved. And I've heard a lot of weird things about this, as this shows one of John's weaknesses, is thinking he was the greatest. You know, I think if I, if, I wanna, if I were writing something or if I were recording something that was forever going to have my identity be in front of everyone, I can't think of anything else I would rather someone know about me than that I was loved by Jesus. <laughs> and so the title of this sermon today is Jesus Loves You, But I'm His Favorite. <laughs> and we can all say that. We can all declare that, that you are His favorite. It's impossible for Him to love you more than He does. 
And, and this intimate relationship with God is what we're invited to. And that can only be something that you feel. You can't process that with your brain. You can't process God's love with your brain. You can't. And the more you try, and it's something that I struggle with every Sunday as a preacher. How do you talk about God's love? How do I talk about God's love? What do you do when you see someone in your life that is not believing that they're loved by God? Do you go talk to them and just tell them, hey, don't do that, you're loved by God. And they go, oh, I didn't realize I was loved by God. I'm going to stop doing what I've been doing. That never works. Ever. How many of you love somebody? Okay. Tell me why. Why do you love somebody? Just shout out some things. Why do you love your children or your spouse? Okay. Connection. They're precious. What's that? Their gift. Yeah. What if someone tried to, to describe love by determining someone's attributes? I love my children because they're so kind. I love my spouse because she brings me coffee in the morning. Well, what if your children weren't kind? Would you love them? Yeah. What if your spouse didn't bring you coffee in the morning? Would you love them? Yeah, it's, it's a fool's game to try to explain love with words, to try to justify it. And what you all did was awesome. You used, you used these concepts that aren't measurable. There's no way to measure a gift from God. There's no way to measure because. You can't measure that. And, and I would argue it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve took the bite of the apple and says, I'm going to justify this world by the way I measure things. And Jesus and God's saying, no, you, we, we justify and we, we explain this world just by love. And that's what we mean at the church when we say it's not about right and wrong, it's about love. If we approach life and relationships as if we're measuring someone's good, goodness and badness to determine their acceptability, we're missing the whole point of Jesus because the story of God isn't that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. The story is bad people is all there is. And some of us, when we admit that and accept the gift of Jesus, we go to heaven. We're all bad people. So that's what it means by having the humility or not seeing yourselves as greater than the other or submitting yourself to one another or bearing one another's burdens. The whole heart of that is that we're all doomed. And thank God he's not fair. Fair sucks for us. He's gracious and merciful. And what we're, all we do is, is humble ourselves and receive the gift. And you can't, what I struggle with is when I pray for us, I go through our church directory and our visitors, I pray, I want to say, I wish I could say every week, but almost every week. But I pray. And, when I, and I know some of the struggles that we're going through. I know my family's going through struggles, and some of them are identical to some of your family's struggles. And when we're all going through stuff, and some of you, your struggles you brought on because you stopped believing in God. Some of your family brought on struggles because they stopped believing in God. And how do I express the love of God in words? 
I want you to think about that as we read the text today. How do we do that? We're going to read John 3. You may have heard of John 3. If you've ever watched a football game, you've seen 316. John 316. It's the verse that I memorized as a kid, the first verse I memorized. It's a beautiful verse that encapsulates the gospel. But let's look at the context around that verse before and after. So we're going to read verses uh, 1 through, I think 19 is what I had, right? Uh, 21, 1 through 21. So um, keep in mind that we're kind of, we're, we're skipping ahead because I'm doing, I'm laying the groundwork for the book of John now. And chapter 3 gives us a good root point. But we're going to come back to chapter 3 as we go through because we're going to start in chapter 1 next week. So um, as you're writing notes, make sure you leave room for actually in a few weeks when we get to chapter 3. I wanted to let you know that. Okay. Let's start with verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know. Now, one of the things I love about that video is when he calls him Rabbi. I used to read this as Rabbi as if Nicodemus was submitting to Jesus as his teacher. But Nicodemus was also a teacher. So he's coming at him and saying, teacher, as if we're peers, right? That's, that changes the tone a little bit. So he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher, so we know that you're like us. You've come from God, because no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see, underline cannot see, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, underlined cannot enter, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that which is born in the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Huh. Jesus is like declaring, I just can't believe that you're not getting this. What he's saying back there, he says, well, you, you haven't been born again, so you don't see. Right? Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things, I'm going to emphasize this, if I have even told you earthly things and you don't grasp it, because you just told him about the wind, like, you, what do you mean, you don't understand that you don't know where the wind comes from or where it's going, like you can't grasp even that? So he says, I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who had descended from heaven, the Son of Man, He's saying, how can, you, how can you even consider to understand the kingdom of heaven if you're not even willing to open your heart and mind up to the idea that there's a spiritual realm that's not the physical realm? 
Like, how can you even consider that you could grasp that if you're not willing to do that? And when he calls himself the son of man, he's declaring he is the conduit for that. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, we'll get into that when we come back, but as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And this is where it gets to what I was saying before, the point that we miss, John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God did not come to the, to, Jesus isn't here in our lives to help us determine right and wrong. He is here to help us love, to give us love, to empower us to love, to give us the value of love. Now, don't hear this, this kind of unhinged thought that right and wrong don't matter and there's no justice. I'm saying right and wrong come through love. So right and wrong is absolute. There is an absolute right and wrong. The whole rest of the Bible makes it very clear. Um, doing, but, but you could lump the entirety of everything that is considered right into the call to love God and love one another. Jesus says this command sums up all of the law and all of the prophets, that if we love and, and the point is that if we, if we focus on the love, there is no law against what our hearts want to do. Love wants to forgive. Love wants to serve. Love wants to sacrifice for each other. Love wants to believe in someone who's, who is betraying themselves and not believing in themselves. Love wants justice for people. Love is okay when someone you see suffers their consequences because you know that God uses that to teach them and help them grow. Sometimes love makes you cut off help for someone who's destroying themselves with your help. So don't hear me say there's no right and wrong. I'm saying right and wrong that is not filtered through the lens of love is destructive and dangerous. because Jesus didn't come to condemn. He's not looking for people who didn't make it. He's looking to love, and his will is that all come, that all receive. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, and whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come to the world and people believed the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So what happens is Jesus comes to help us see. He brings light and it helps us see. Those things that we hide in darkness destroy. But Jesus brings light. Jesus brings light. And sometimes that light exposes things that if we're humble, 
we can, we can confess and we can repent and we can turn away. The idea of being baptized, when he says that, that uh, being baptized in water and in spirit, it's this idea that you, your, your revelation that your path is wrong and you're turning away, you're repenting and turning away from your sinful ways, the water baptism represents that you've turned away and you're following Jesus as king. And this, this transformation of your spirit means that things are different now. And every day as I go, things are different. As I wake up, my spirit has been renewed. I, I, I'm renewed every time I struggle and, and overcome and choose light over darkness and, and choose to hope rather than despair, which is a choice. When we go through suffering, we can just sit here and go, man, this is just horrible, this is horrible. You choose whether or not you have hope. And that choice comes from belief, right? Belief. The, the Greek word is pistis or pistweo. That means to put your weight on, to act as if you think something is true, to put your weight on it. I think belief has been cheapened in our culture because belief now just means, huh, I think that's, I think that of all possibilities, that's the most likely. So I believe in Christianity because it's the one that makes the most sense. You arrive at that if you forget that love cannot be explained. God's, there are no, there's no way for the human brain to come up with words that expresses God's love. I feel wholly inadequate every Sunday because the love that I feel for God comes out and I try, it's 10% at best of what I feel can transform. And, and I try to explain and I try to express this love that I feel from God that, that you feel too. But I, wanna, I want it to be unifying. And those of you who've never felt it, I, want, I desperately want you to know. And those of you who are suffering because you've heard it so much that you've lost it, you know how that can happen? When something just becomes so, so rote and so repeated that you lose the core meaning of it? Like... I want to express that to you, but all I can do is pray because it is an experience from God that I pray you submit yourself to because I can't articulate God's love in words in a way that captures your heart. The Holy Spirit can capture your heart. The Holy Spirit touches you. If you hear words from a song, a sermon, a video, and your heart is drawn, don't you dare attribute that to the video or the preacher or the singer. That's your God loving you, touching your heart because he wants a relationship with you that has nothing to do with me, a preacher, or a song. It's, it's him pursuing you. And I don't know, I struggle with how... And it's because I just, I do this, I step into God's job all the time. Like when someone's struggling, I'm like, well, if they just knew this, so I'm going to go tell them this. We don't know where the wind comes from or where it's going. Who am I to think that I can stand in the wind and tell someone where it's going to go? Who? I can't do that. I can give you a testimony. 
that says my life is being transformed every day by the love of Jesus Christ, and I desperately want that for you, and the only thing you can do is to humbly come to Jesus and repent. And I'm not talking about a repentant transaction where you get into heaven. I'm talking about every day of your life or your testimony, your, your, your confession of faith. I don't know if you've been in the church very often, but when, when we baptize someone, we're taught that we take their confession of faith. Your confession is the rest of your life. That idea of pistis, pistueo. I did this before. It was like my first time preaching in this building and I stood on a pew. But this is the illustration of pistueo. Is I believe. Look at them. They're like, I'm not doing anything radical here, guys. It's like, Heather, calm down. It's okay. It's like, everyone who's new is like, what's he going to do? Cartwheels. But the idea of pistueo is this. Is it's to put your weight on something, right? It's to act as if you believe something is true. And if I could tell you that this chair, this is a great chair. This chair used to belong to Dallas Church. Dallas Church was the church that Heather and I came down to Oregon to help start 12 years ago. And when they moved, they got new chairs and they gave us all these old chairs. These chairs that are a little more comfortable are from Suburban Church, right? Suburban got new chairs, they got new, and they gave us their old chairs. We're just very grateful for our sister churches and our tribe. They both financially helped our church get started. They're friends, they're mentors, and we're very thankful for them. You notice the suburban church chairs are a little more comfortable um, than the Dallas chairs. I think Dallas was more willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of God by being uncomfortable. I'm just kidding. But these chairs, they have a rating on them, and I think they're rated at 400 pounds. And I, I believe that if I stood on this chair, it would hold me. I do, I believe that. And look at the way it's constructed. Steel construction, four legs. It's got a frame that'll hold it together. I believe this would hold me if I stood on it. I believe it would. Do you, do you believe it would? Do you believe it would hold you? If you stood on it? Do you believe that? So if you're looking at the, Hebrew, or the Greek word pistweo and, and the Hebrew concept of belief, you can never say that you believe something until you put your weight on it. It doesn't make sense, right? So I could, what I'm basically saying is I intellectually think that the framework of this is engineered to hold me. But I can't use the word believe until I stand on it. Now I believe. And when we read the word believe in the Bible, we have to read it like that because that's how it's intended. It's not just saying, hey, of all the world religions, I'm choosing sides and Christianity is the one I'm believing in. It's, I'm, I'm, every day I'm putting my weight on the gospel of Jesus that says that I am redeemed, that I am loved, that I am, I am worthy of sacrifice and not just for me, but because I have a purpose to share the love of God with people around me. I believe I honestly don't believe that the middle of this chair will hold me. So I'm not putting my weight on it. I'm standing on the legs in the frame. <laughs> right? So that's that, the idea of belief. So when you read that, think of pistis or pistueo, of the idea that we, the response to Jesus when he talks about belief isn't here. It's here. And I can't explain that. I can't put words to that. 
I can't, I can tell you, I had a moment this week where, you know, we're struggling with something in our family and we're just going through. And we went to, uh, we went to visit our kids down at Northwest Christian University and we went on Thursday, I canceled my appointments, we went on Thursday and we went to their chapel service. And there was a song that shows up in my life at meaningful times. We don't do it often here, but uh, it's called uh, It Is Well. And uh, actually right here on this stage, when we were praying about um, merging with the Adair Community Church here, I was here with my daughter, just the two of us, and it was dark. And she stood here and she just belted out It Is Well, that song, in this beautiful thing, and my daughter, just her beautiful voice. I think I sent that video to you, Mark, and some of you here. But just, it's a meaningful song to me. And so we, when we get to the chapel service, that song, they start singing that song. And I remember like the first few verses of that song, I, was, I said out loud, like, it is not well. It's not well. It's not well with my stinking soul because this stinks. I don't like this. And I had like 10 years worth of sanctification happen in like 10 seconds. Because in that moment, I felt this, this, this thing from God that says, I, I, I understand how you feel it's not well. Like I didn't just hear, like I felt that he understood. That God is with me. He understands that it's not well. And then it was like, don't forget. Don't forget. And I said out loud again, like when I felt that, I, said, I thought, I know how to do this. I've done this before. And I just let things go and trusted God. And I say that in the words I hear him back, it sounds so shallow of what actually happened. Like there was this deep, like, submission like my tantrum is now over <sighs> and I started to just let my heart trust God and there weren't even words and then I started singing the song again and by the time we got to the chorus where where I had to sing it is well with my soul I don't think I meant it when I said it is but by the time I got to the word well I felt peace. Things weren't fixed. I can't even explain. That it's not like I, I had a vision of how things were going to work out and not be cruddy anymore. But I had this peace in me that said it as well. And no matter what you're going through, because we're all going through stuff, just because you can't come up with the words to find and describe the peace doesn't mean it's not there because it's way deeper than that. Just like you can't describe love with silly words, especially English. And my heart for you as we go into the book of John that you open your heart up to experiencing God, not just understanding God. That you open your soul up to receiving the love that he wants to express to you. 
And like we've been saying, it's kind of been a theme here. The only way to that part is a humble repentance and, and a humble confession. I hope and pray that if you describe yourself to somebody, that your heart would overflow with just this declaration that you are loved by God, just like John. And if you write a book about Jesus that gets preserved for thousands of years and people pursuing Jesus start reading it and that what they remember about you is not your accomplishments or your sacrifices, but your confidence that you are loved by God because that's what carries us through. If you don't know this love of God, the answer is always humble repentance. This really is the part where I just struggle with words. Like where I try to explain to you, like with English language, how God is crying out to your heart. But all I can do right now is pray. That's all we can ever do. When you see someone in your life that's struggling and they're believing lies and they're not believing that they're loved and they're lovable and they have a gift of being able to love other people, the only functional thing that we can do is pray because our words, unless they're God-inspired at the right time to fulfill His purpose, most of our words on our own effort don't do it. But we can pray. We pray to a God who is pursuing the hearts of His children. And we have faith and we trust that He knows how to talk to His kids. And it's not in English. It's like the wind. And it's His heart talking to the heart of His kids. And I hope and pray that God's speaking to your heart today. And that there's something in you The only thing I can tell you is let it say yes, Lord. Let it say yes. It's fascinating to me that the same reason that we come to Jesus the first time is the same reason we come to him every time. Is that humble, I need you, I need you, I need you. And he says, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Thank you for listening to this message. If you'd like more information about Corvallis Church, visit corvallischurch.com and click on Contact Us. We'd love to hear from you and help you explore your own personal story as it relates to today's message. Thanks for listening. He came to save.